In 2030, the world is a different place. Multiple world wars have changed the dominant political powers and pushed the majority of the population to get cybernetic enhancements to their brains and bodies. Major Kusanagi leads her team of special forces investigators to the heart of many mysteries. But here, in 2020, it's anime. And we're stuck inside and are almost as inextricable from the internet as the heroes and villains that we are about to meet as we jump into our first ever deep dive of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Miles, how long have I been telling you to watch this show? Uh, I would say almost as long as we have been friends post-college. Yeah, it's been a long time, more than 10 years that I've been trying to get you to... Yeah, and it's weird because Ghost in the Shell, I mean, I I watched the 1995 film, not when it came out, but when it hit VHS, because that was one of those... For, for most Americans, one of the few anime kind of classics that everyone kind of really harped onto. There was Akira, Ninja Scroll, and Ghost in the Shell. And those, those three were three always that... in the anime section of Blockbuster. And joining us this week to talk about Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex and all of anime is our co-host and player character, or, or player, from our Starfinder podcast, Cosmic Crit. Joining us is Tyler Pierce. Thanks for coming, Tyler. Hey, everybody. And I want to emphasize the other anime part. I, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch Ghost in the Shell. I watched, uh, I watched Akira. Uh, in, a, in a terrible misunderstanding of what the assignment was, I'm going to focus on the other anime aspect of anime. Uh, and I will just pop in with various tidbits of other facts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding, obviously. I, I, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I we have been wanting to get you on this show for a for a good while now. And last sure. summer, while we were still on our uh, the Moyer break, uh, we somehow because because Tyler has been a, a, a one of our best friends for about five or six years now. Yeah. And we were we were just talking on Destiny and it somehow just came out that you were this massive, massive anime nerd. We were just going back and forth <laughs> on on these obscure anime shows. And yeah. I was like, how? Yeah. Was this just now coming out? We've been friends yeah. for so long. It was a weird miss. It was a weird, just like where it was like two, it was like two meteors just getting really close to each other, but we never actually mentioned it or talked about it at all. And then all of a sudden, yeah, like the floodgates open, and we've we've talked about a bunch of shows. And uh, so we, I, know, I know you joked at that. the top of your intro, um, and I know you're a couple years younger than us. But where growing up, uh, when you were getting involved, uh, getting interested in anime, where was mm -hmm. Ghost in the in the show on your barometer? Oh, it didn't exist. Let me tell you how I got started with anime because it's a pretty it's a pretty great. So when I was in high school, um, I didn't know anime existed, and then my best friend at the time, uh, we were at Adam. high school one day. Uh, yeah, my best friend at the time, uh, and he's still my he's still like my best friend, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. One of uh, <laughs> yes, he came up to me and he said, uh, "Here, I 
I pirated this show for you. It's an anime. It's called Naruto, and I want you to watch it because <laughs> I've been watching it, and I don't have anybody else to talk to about it. So watch it. Oh, that's such and a so best friend move. He, <laughs> that is such he, a best friend move. Yeah. So he pirated the first like a hundred episodes or whatever, or like fifty na- episodes of Naruto, and I watched it uh, up through the uh, I, I, was, I can't remember like the proper title, but it's the selection arc where he has to he's trying to become a Chunin. I want to say is the name. It's the second rank. It's up. the second rank of ninjas. Yeah. 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 And so anyway, so he burnt, he pirated all that for me and I think I still have the disc somewhere. So I watched that and I thoroughly enjoyed myself and, that, but I was like, as I don't know. I was like a junior or senior in high school at that point. So that was where I started. So a lot of, and then I got, and then I went, a uh, baby is what you are. A I was baby. A, I was a babe. The fact that uh, you could have something pirated on a disc handed to you just <laughs> again, reminds me how much younger you are than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that's where everything started. And so then I, for years, I just watched Naruto. That's all I watched because that's what he watched. Um, but then he got to the point when Shippuden came out where he just wanted to, he read the man- manga. He didn't want to wait anymore. So he subscribed to a manga service and he read way ahead of me. Well, I didn't do that. I just kept watching the show. And then eventually, uh, I, I subscribed to country roll. And then that was really what opened the gates for me is when I actually put money into crunchy roll. And then I started watching, God damn, I, 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 I remember when I first started watching One Piece and they were on episode like 500 and something. And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and I like, just watch so many episodes of One Piece in a row. It hurts so bad. <laughs> but it sounds, anyway. it, sounds, it sounds painful. It was so painful. The fillers. The fillers! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's luckily something we won't have in the show we're talking about tonight. Because, no. again, this is... Is this your first exposure to anything Ghost in the Shell? Oh, right. I should circle back around. So I have never seen anything Ghost in the Shell. I've heard about it before, but um, it was just one of those things where I haven't made it to the... the I haven't made it to Ghost in the Shell. That, so when you guys asked me to be on, and you're like, we're going to do Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, I was like, finally... I have a reason to to come to this extremely well known and beloved yeah. series, and I that's, was I'm I'm very excited to do it. That's that's how I have been. I did not uh, know beforehand that you had not seen the original film because, uh, mm. based off some pre pre air conversations, that might have affected how you felt about some episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's 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 get started. So after the 1995 film adaptation of Shiro's Ghost in the Shell became a massive cult classic on the video market, turning its barely breaking even $10 million gross into an oppressive $43 million in box office and home video sales revenue, it felt like only a matter of time before the powers of B would make in a second attempt to adapt a property acquiring a larger classic status with every passing year. Yeah, and you have to think about when that Ghost in the Shell movie came out. It was 1995. Most people didn't have a computer in their home at this point. They weren't really aware of the internet. And you flash forward to 2002 when standalone complex comes out and the internet is a known thing. It's a no, it's, it's been normalized. It's normalized. So I, I always like going back and looking at computers in different things. Like so much, <laughs> I know so you many, do <laughs> so many computers of, of stuff pre like 1997, 1998 is all text code on the screen. 
I mean, yeah. even the Matrix kind of does that with, but the Matrix drew well a lot of <laughs> a lot of stylistic uh, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. stuff from from Ghost in the Shell. But that's one of the things that I'm really excited to talk about here. So when they start this 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 path to a TV series, Production IG, the production company, enlisted Kenji Kamayama to write and direct the show. He had just recently written written uh, Blood: The Last Vampire, which had done really well for the studio. He also just uh, directed the or co-created the Ultraman anime that aired on Netflix recently, which is uh, a blast. I, I loved it. <laughs> I need to get to it. Ultraman is one of those things. Well, whole different show, whole different show. Moving back on to honestly, they're just now starting to put those out in the West in official high definition platforms. So I wouldn't be surprised if that show ended up popping up uh, in the future. Yeah. Uh, so he was asked about balancing the needs of a TV show with, in comparison to Ghost in the Shell, the film's reputation, its artistic reputation, this kind of stoic uh, philosophical thing. Uh, and he said, my aim is to target the masses, the complicated background stories uh, and settings together with the seriousness of the storyline is as high quality as the film, but as this is a TV series, rather than making an artistic work, we had to consider the excitement within each episode and to be careful that stories appear relatively easy to understand. But we do have social criticism in our work. Um, we should also probably cl- 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 uh, comment on the fact that Ghost in the Shell, mo- the movie, is in itself very different from the original Ghost in the Shell manga, which was mm-hmm. way more cartoony, way more... Uh, it had serious moments and it had action and violence and, and all of that stuff, but it has a lot more humor. But if you compared the major Kusanagi of the manga to the major Kusanagi of the movie, very different characters. Uh, yes. At, at least outside mm-hmm. of appearance. Uh, the movie, it just, it feels more, it's self serious and the major is much more uh, kind of stoic and, contemplative and as is the film and i mean this is not to knock the film that's still a very good movie but when you one and when you read some of the source material and then even coming across the show i feel like me personally and this is not to spoil you know some uh of what we're gonna get into but i feel like the show does a better job of delivering the full package because I think that that self-seriousness that a lot of uh, specifically cyberpunk anime can be known for often works to its detriment. I I think part of that is also timing. In 1995, we weren't as used to these types of stories. (laughs) By the time that we get to this show, some of these episodes are extremely obvious in the things that they're trying to do. Some are not, but... We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, so, so the show itself was originally going to be developed for a simultaneous Japanese and Western release, which I don't know if this is the first time that's happened, but that's but it was basically unheard of. Yeah, it was, that see, it's, it's very common now. I mean, you can yes, services like Crunchyroll exist to do this very thing. Crunchyroll, High Dive, Funimation, um. Oh, there's one other one that I'm, I'm blanking uh, the, the official Mobile Suit Gundam YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, but yes. ne- they, have, they do next day streams of all the new Gundam episodes. It's fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, but but there is a lot of uh, what they call simuldubs as well. Like they, they, they release it as its North American package. This almost the same time it comes out in Japan. But back back in uh, 2002, that didn't happen. And it didn't happen. 
Yeah, unfortunately, um, it, it did not happen, and and we had about a two year wait between the Japanese release and the American oh. release. But it was just in time to air on Adult Swim. One of the first big Adult Swim shows was Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Yeah, uh, we got Adult Swim was barely, uh, barely outside of a year old, and. Standalone Complex more than made up for the world not quite catching the initial film the first time around. The success was not just due to the convenient delivery system, which we cannot stress enough how much turn-of-the-century Cartoon Network influenced anime fandom and consumption in the United States. Like, I mean, almost, I would say, 85% of anime fans who were, well, who really had an influence on the way things were, were bought and sold is directly influenced by what they watched on Cartoon Network in the early 2000s. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, prior Did, to... Uh, yep. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> Digimon, Pokemon, and Courage the Cowardly Dog. I mean, that's what I <laughs> but, but before... So before that, I mean, we had anime on American TV before this. Sure. We had Dragon Ball Z. We had Sailor Moon. We had these uh, Ronin Warriors. We had these shows that if you knew they weren't American, you knew. But the right. idea of anime as a thing went from being a very niche small thing to being propped up by cartoon network as this Mm -hmm. huge industry and and really it became i don't want to say an everyday term uh but i think for for generations it became something that was just another style of something that they were familiar with absolutely and the other thing that helped this show was the glowing critical claim that arrived with it uh, critics fell in love with the believably futuristic high-tech society, high-tech society, as well as how well the show handled the philosophical themes and social commentary. Uh, some of the reception got a little more divided when directly comparing the film and its animation, as people do. You know, obviously, some people always like the old stuff better, but by and large, Standalone Complex was fairly warmly received and became one of those kind of standard anime that you you watched it was also known as kind of being one of the smart ones it, it kind of garnered that reputation because of the the film and because of its attempt to do philosophical stuff much in, in the same way that serial experience lane did a lot of the the heavy-handed philosophical sci-fi anime at the time were always propped up maybe a little more so because of that but it wasn't quite dragon ball z in terms of its popularity or even bebop but it, it was up there yeah, it did also air late because it was in that Adult Swim, that late night, uh, that late night category. Yeah, um, it became one of the defining shows for Adult Swim, along with uh, Bleach, Air Gear, Inuyasha, Cowboy Bebop, and Blood Plus. All all of these kind of were like the next wave of these big anime shows that really I think this and and along with being held by by Toonami prior and afterwards and Midnight Run, this. I think is what really kicks off the big anime fandom at large. The, this this kind of time period. Um, what I wanted to know, Drew, because I know you had seen this. You've been trying to get me into this for years. And we both have very fond memories. And Tyler, you might as well, of very early Adult Swim. I remember when it started. Um, so can you, can you kind of give a, a little... Either your, the, your memories of when you first watched it, did you watch it in college, or did you have any notions of it when it uh, when it aired? So it would have been airing when I was in college in 2004, would have been right. when it we started. Right, at Wofford. Yeah. Uh, funny thing about 2004, 
Um, you don't remember it. I don't remember it. I was, uh, <laughs> it was, it's been a long time ago. It's now that I think about, Oh yeah, it was <laughs> years ago. Um, but this is one of those shows that uh, it aired weekly, which was not something that always happened for Adult Swim shows. You had adult, a lot of Adult Swim shows that aired nightly. Uh, but this one was a, a weekly airing, so you had to make sure that you tuned in for it. And so I don't think I fully watched the show as a whole until probably getting it like getting a DVD rented somewhere or maybe a marathon that was doing with four episodes on it. Or maybe I surfed <laughs> the seven seas of the internet to find it at some point, because that was something we used to have to do to get anime. That's what I did in college. Uh, so, <laughs> so, but, but I, I was passingly familiar with the movie. I had, I, I had seen it. Uh, when I was in high school, but I wasn't super familiar with it. But again, this is in the days of the internet when you can literally look up anything about anything and act like an expert on it. It's what we've been doing on this show for, <laughs> for almost a decade. For almost a decade. <laughs> but uh, but no, my my first experience with it is is really just seeing this rad show. And I have to talk about the the intro sequence to this show because. The intro sequence is CG animated, unlike the rest of the series. And it's rough. <laughs> it's some rough CG. But I mean, again, 2000, you know. I, no, I get it. I, I have, I mean, it was a, I, it's it kind was of a, a too soon moment for me. With I'm very, very particular about CG anime to begin with. Um, I read but, the, but 2004, 2004, I would have thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Read the if reviews I, of the new CG animated Ghost in the Shell standalone complex series on Netflix that just came out, and people are very critical of that. Uh, but, but it was this song, this this sort of not quite. It's definitely not <laughs> English, but it's not Japanese, uh, and and really a lot of the music in the show. And come to find out that the music behind it was a a, a performer named Yoko Kano, uh, who is a all over anime music and other music in Japan. You may know she her. She did Macross. She did Macross Plus. Okay, I was going to say, this really sounded like a Macross Plus kind of song. Yes, she did Macross Plus. She did uh, Cowboy Bebop. She did um, yes. Turn A Gundam, which I know you guys haven't seen. Uh, she's, been, she's been involved in a, a ton of stuff all, all over the place. Um, in fact, one of her protégés is the official voice actress for... Uh, Aerith, the Final Fantasy VII character, and oh, that's the cool. That she gets voiced. Who? Uh, uh, Sturf. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, for for those who who may not know, uh, Drew and Tyler are doing a Twitch play of Final Fantasy VII because Tyler has never played it before and uh, gloriously knows little about the story which is is a is a real treat but he renamed all of the characters i renamed everyone so when people talk about these infamous like you know red 13 i'm just like i don't know who that is and they're just and then <laughs> drew shakes his head it's he swat goes, cats tyler it's swat, it's swat cats, cats tyler. Uh, i also oh. said i also said Aerith instead of eris but i was just doing because that, so. you have finally accepted i haven't but that's you okay have finally accepted. <laughs> anyway to, um, but to get but to get back to it so so you've got this this world that's set up and it's we we should also say because I, I don't think it's come up yet the manga Ghost in the Shell the movie Ghost in the Shell and standalone complex Ghost in the Shell all exist in different continuities they are all different interpretations from top to bottom of these same characters so you've got something that's a little more fun than the movie but a little more 
serious than the manga. And, and, and I'd like to set the stage for you guys if I can. And for, for folks that may be out there. So you've got, all so you've got, uh, we're set in Japan, of course. Uh, and we have a fictional organization called public security section nine, which is just a cool way to say that um, it's an elite team of soldiers, hackers, and just people who handle different kinds of threats. Uh, there are actual real public security sections in Japan. It seems to be kind of their combination FBI, CIA, where or like MI5, MI6, or MI5 is the internal threats and MI6 is the external threats from, from England. I almost said from the James Bond movies, but they're real organizations, unlike Section 9. Uh, but the whole purpose of Section 9 is that they are there to deal with computer stuff. Because we live in a world where everybody's got a cyber brain and everything's on the internet and it's connected. So you could handle a situation when in a standard police or military way, but when someone hacks your eyes so you can't see anything, they need somebody that's that's a little more set up than that. So yeah, there's a, actually a line from the what we know so far as as someone who has not seen this. Uh, there's a direct quote from episode five that Section Nine specializes in cyber warfare and doing it quick. That is the yeah. closest thing we get to an official <laughs> like there, description of what they are. <laughs> yeah. They're a rapid, I, and which kind of, I'm glad we even had that because in the first, I was like, okay, they're an anti-terrorist unit because the first few episodes, I think the first two episodes both deal with terrorism. And, I was and like, oh, they're, they're an anti-foreign terrorist thing. I, <laughs> I, you know, I wish you quite right. the movie, Tyler, because I feel like the pilot, which uh, I guess we'll, we'll dive into soon. Um, there, there, there are, there are some ideas that seem repetitive if you've seen the movie um that was okay. what's we what's weird because i do want to say while I, I i can say i've never sat down and purposely watched the shows after watching the first two episodes i was like i know these stories <laughs> yeah. oh. before a hundred percent like oh, i really? knew what was going to happen especially with the um the uh i almost called them tamagotchis the uh tachikomas tachikomatics tachikomas um yeah the tachikomas the tamagotchis whatever um they i i must have watched this at some point in college like like three o'clock in the morning some night when it was being like re-aired or something mm -hmm. because i have never like if i would have gone sit down and watch the show i would have sat down and watched the show and watched it to like in succession or something so that's usually how i consume stuff and it must have just been on because I have definitely seen the first two episodes somehow. I have no idea well, they how aired, I have, <laughs> they aired I all the time. Yeah. I have no memory of ever watching them, but as I was watching these images, I'm like, Oh yeah, I, this is very familiar. This is what's going to happen. I know this. And it's, th this stuff doesn't happen in the movie either. So like, <laughs> it's not that I've seen the movie and like, Oh, this is familiar. Like, no, the, the second episode when the little Tamagotchis were, were floating around and, and giggling and stuff. I was like, I have definitely seen this. <laughs> well, so, so let's, let's introduce some of the characters and then let's dive into these episodes. Cause I'm excited to okay. hear what you guys think. Yeah. I know there's going to be some, some uh, different reactions to some of these things. So there's going to be, there's going to be some shouting. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, uh, we've got chief Aramaki, who is the, the leader of, of section nine. Uh, they jokingly call him uh, an old ape. 
uh, or or sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love him because his, his the old yeah the old ape comments are great. Well, yeah. So if you ever look at his his manga original uh, his original look in the manga, it is way more ape like. It was it is and like the like first that. thing the first oh, thing that really? like when they're talking about him like the first thing they ever say about him is that he's an old ape like. In the manga, like that, that's 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 in page three. <laughs> yeah. uh, then we have the team leader, uh, Major Motoko Kusan- Makoto Kusanagi. Golly, I only know that name for ten years, and then I still mispronounce it. Uh, she is the leader of the team. She's the most iconic character of the entire franchise. If you know anything about Ghost in the Shell, you, or even if you don't, you've probably seen this character at some point. Interesting yeah. things about her. She is a full body cyborg, meaning her entire body is artificial. Unlike a number of people in, in this world who in a world where cyberization is normalized. Hence the name ghost in the shell. Yeah. Uh, Bato, uh, who is kind of the second in command. He is a former army ranger. Who's got a bit of a, of a sense of humor, but also a bit of a temper. Uh, but he's also got his own little hangups. He likes to work out, even though most of his body is cybernetic and working out will do absolutely nothing. He spends a lot of money on workout equipment. I which, love Bato. It's, it's, but it's a, little, it's a little flavor like this that makes this whole show really work for me. It's good. And it gives good breathing room when you're needed, like in episode, uh, well, we'll get to it. But in episode four, I think it's, it has a good moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, but, it also adds levity to a very serious episode. Definitely. Yes. Uh, so beyond that, he also uh, he's a fan of the Tachikoma talking tanks, the the blue beetle <laughs> things, machines he, in general, machines in general. But he but he also tends to favor his Tachikoma. He's claimed one as kind of his personal ride. He gives it special treatment. He gives it special natural oil. The natural oil, <laughs> so cute, which is a cute moment. Uh, beyond that, I love that moment. It's, yeah, the, it's really good. The Tachikomas, they all speak with very childlike voices, and I know mm-hmm. they grate on some people's nerves. I'm a big fan of them. It took me some I, time to become a fan of them, but I appreciate them a lot. I, I do like them. There there are sometimes like I honestly I don't need the little shorts. Like sometimes they're funny if an episode was super serious and I just need a little kind of like, all right, it's a nice way to finish it. But I think those are a little much. I do like them as characters in the show proper. Yes. Um, they they kind of run their course. Um, so the first thing, so the the episodes are we going are, to ignore the rest of the team? The oh, very. Right. <laughs> I was about to say. I was like, it's just it's just the major and bottle. Uh, forget Togusa. <laughs> so, forget so, Saito. Yeah, Togusa is like, legit, legit one of my favorite characters. Togusa is fantastic on the show. So Togusa, he's the newest member of the team. He's also the most normal person. He's got a wife and kid. He was a cop instead of a soldier. He is also mm-hmm. uh, almost completely non cyber cybernetic. Yeah. I think he just has enough to do the nonverbal communication. So because I yeah. believe we'll he get into speaks s- nonverbally a few times. Yeah, we'll get into some of of what that means in in some of these in some of these episodes. Uh, we've got, I've I've got it listed here on the notes as and the rest because these characters are all Ouch. important, but they are definitely not kind of the big four that we see in well, in, yeah. in every episode. And they don't get a lot of focus in the first six episodes. They're they're there and they have some moments, but. Uh, Saito, Pazu, Boma, Ishikawa, they they don't have a lot in the first few episodes. Yeah. The first few episodes, 
do two things. They they world build, they establish what this world is, and they give you the first inklings of the the major case of the yeah. season. And I will say that Saito and Pazu are my favorite so far of uh like design. I just really like they have too. very cool designs. I, I'm a big fan uh, of Ishikawa with his big beard and Yeah, Ishikawa is cool. I was one, thing, well, one, one thing that annoyed me at first was oh. the very anime sci-fi titles of the episodes. Like the episode oh. one is called SA Public Security Section 9, Section 9. Episode 2 is called SA Runaway Evidence Testation. And then you get to episode four, which is called C, the visual device will laugh interceptor. Uh, in, in doing research for this show, I have done minimal research just to get to kind of the history stuff so that I don't get any spoilers. Mm-hmm. But I did find that essay episodes are episodes that are not strongly tied to the main Laughing Man story arc. Complex or C episodes are episodes that follow the main Laughing Man story arc of the series. Standalone and, complex. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I kind of sat there dumbfounded. I'm like, that is the most obvious and most clever thing they could have possibly done because I never would have thought about that. Yeah. It's also... It really sucks when you're going through the Blu-ray menu. I'm just going to say it. Like, <laughs> I just want, just give me like section nine, testation, Android and I. That's, and and see, that's why I was a little first. And, and, okay, and, so, so. and interceptor is spelled differently than I would spell interceptor in <laughs> English. But uh, yes. So so, um, let, so let's dive into it because we've reached the point. We've spent about half an hour setting things up. We're probably okay. not going to do this much setup on future episodes. Uh, but let's get into our first episode. Public Security Section 9. Uh, so, guys, I gotta ask. Yeah. Whenever there is a, a science fiction anime that gets a little philosophical at some point in its, or at least in its reputation, why has it always gotta start with a nonsensical quote? Oh, what is our <laughs> nonsensical quote? <laughs> okay, so this, this before the episode one starts... Yeah. Uh, we have a line of dialogue that flashes across the stream. <laughs> it is a time when, even if nets were to guide all consciousness that had been converted to photons and electrons forward coalescing, standalone individuals have not yet converted into the data to the extent that they can form unique components of the larger complex. Right. Oh, and by the way, the amount of time that text is on screen is a quarter Nothing. of the time you need to read it. It is yes. gone. It, like, it, it comes is. up and it's over immediately. I had to pause it. I had to pause it. <laughs> This is oh. actually the first time I have actually read it in full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and you you pause it because obviously it flashes by instantly. So then you rewind to pause it, only to read it and then be annoyed that you spent all the time coming back and pausing. Because it. yeah, because you're like you stare <laughs> and you're like, this means nothing to me. Yeah. You know what was more interesting that I was more annoyed about is at the beginning of every episode at the title card on the left hand side of the screen is just script it's just it's just the script it's a and the it's, script it's a, it's a, is really interesting to read it's a description of the episode and like the yeah first and I, I really enjoyed reading i i paused on all the episodes to read that part because i really enjoyed reading them because they would have little bits that would either i don't know they either got cut or just didn't make it or just like stage sometimes. directions that flesh out yeah. some stuff that you right. might have seen but not noticed or the mm-hmm. stuff that you maybe want to make sure yeah. you pay attention to it's really and it's right really out cool. of I, I, and right out of the gate in episode one, I was already annoyed because at the beginning of the episode, the major, uh, she just falls face first. She falls off the top of a building, falls a great distance and then lands immediately showing how 
amazing her cyborg body is. Well, that's so, also so again a great effect in the movie. That's like one of the yeah. most famous shots the, of the movie. In the text, it says she jumped, and I was like, "There was no jumping. <laughs> there was there was just falling." <laughs> so that is that is again. You now, granted, in the movie she was nude, but uh, in in the in the show mm-hmm. she is wearing her combat armor. Uh, and as section, oh, is nine, that what that is? Yeah. I thought it was a bathing suit. <laughs> no, I that, that at Macy's. no, that's that's the bathing suit that she wears for the rest of the episode. But she's actually wearing her little like with the. Oh, that's right. She actually does have the armor on. Yeah, because um, they cool they, looking armor. It's cool looking armor. They've all got like the kind of high collars that are a little. It's, silly, it's I mean, but, very eighties inspired design. So yeah. the, the episode so, itself wastes no time. Like it introduces characters enough so you understand kind of who they are within the context of what's going on in the action. And this this kind of relates to what you know probably what Tyler experienced going in. It does little to lay the foundation. Like it's setting up the moving parts first, which is fine, but it's more fine if you've seen the movie, so you kind of already know who these people are. Yeah, I was massively confused. I spent all of episode one just like trying to figure out. And to be to be honest, when I when I got done watching episode one, I hated it. Um, When I re I watched episode one three times, and my second and third viewing. I really liked the episode, but on my first viewing, I was so confused. I couldn't keep up with the episode whatsoever. Uh, and so I, I got frustrated at it a little bit, but uh, you know, that passed very quick. So, so uh, let me, let me set this up a little bit and then we'll get into it because I was rewatching it. I kind of, I was like, Oh, these guys, they're going to hate this. Uh, so, I don't hate well, it. Well, I just so, think it could have been better. Let's get to it. So section nine is called in to, res- to resolve a hostage crisis at a restaurant uh, where uh, the Japanese foreign minister is, is in attendance uh, where the robot geishas have gone berserk and have, have taken everybody in the restaurant hostage. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the, they solve that problem very quickly. And then the rest of the episode is mm-hmm. sort of figuring out the mystery, what's going on. Something seems off because all of a sudden that foreign minister starts looking into this Ichinose report. That is, you know, it's, it, it's not, it would be very important for someone outside of Japan to get. Yeah. It's but, something that military people don't want civilians or other foreign powers to read. So this is when I'm watching this episode and they start talking about uh, the Japanese foreign minister and the something something and the Ichinose report. And they they throw out so many terms and so many things that, you know, I've seen this enough to know that, oh, well, I know the Ichinose report ain't coming back up at any other time. It's just like a techno babble word, kind of like Mm -hmm. in kind of like in Star Trek where they have to realign the phase inducers like what that it's not a real thing that exists but or dilithium <laughs> but it's also mixed in with all of the stuff that you do need to know for the sake of the series and that's where i wanted to to, to hear in hearing you tyler say that you hated the episode the first time and the second time and third time watching it really liked it yeah it, was it just knowing what you needed to care about and not need to care about uh yeah pretty much and just what the rules were um, because I just didn't know the rules uh, of like reality. I mean, like that part where she falls off the uh, going way back with the part where she falls off the building. I was like, uh, okay. And she lands and I was like, okay, cyborg. She shoots that guy in the leg. He's also full cyborg, you know? And, and but then it just whizzes by all that. And it, it shows you those little things. And then all of a sudden we have robot geishas and a ton of high sci-fi concepts. And it just all goes whizzing by. Um, 
right. once and you I, watch the further episodes, you you know, and you become more familiar with what Section Nine is at all. And then what's really important in that episode is understanding how the military, the police, and Section Nine operate in that universe together, or how they don't. And when when you're, I just didn't understand that like that interaction at all that that interaction that um the chief Adamaki has with uh kubota and the other heads of police in the police van at the very at the very beginning when they're going through the kidnapping and the geishas i didn't understand that interplay at all or why that was important whatsoever um but after coming back to it uh it made a lot more sense and it was much more important especially than setting up episode four and things like that yeah so and that's oh, sorry go ahead drew uh, so this is where we we got we've got some some terminology. I've got some notable terms to talk about just to for sure. for folks out there that because because this is really where a lot of this story and a lot of future stories are going to come down to, and that's all like the central world changing thing is the cyber brain, and they show this yeah. to you and a couple of times. It's basically a brain in a bucket. <laughs> it is it is. Most people in society, including Togusa, who has no other cybernetic enhancements, he's still got a cyber brain because it's very difficult not to have one of those uh, and and to be able to function in society. It's a very common thing, at least in in a lot of the. Does he? The he doesn't even have the external ports for it, though, does he? Does he have the plugins in his neck? I, I don't think he does. I think he does because he's does he, he wears he? The, okay. he wears the little thing around his neck from time to time. Oh, that's true. You must be right. Okay. Uh, and well, what the, what those things are are uh, basically military barriers. So because they are hacking into so so you're hacking into people's brains by plugging cables into into the the ports. And but what if they have like a defense barrier that will send a feedback loop back in the opposite direction? That thing will burn out before your brain burns out. All it's all stuff that they take the time to explain later on if they sure. do it all. But uh, which part of me likes that they don't take the time to to lay down every single thing. But but anyway, so yeah. your cyber brain is your brain inside a thing that can be then put into a cybernetic body or cybernetic enhancements in your regular body, whatever. A brain case is just simply a case that that brain is in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, the other uh, some other. Oh, go ahead, Miles. I was just saying, well, I'll, and all of this is fine. Uh, Tyler, you mentioned this, I think, before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I, kind of knew I was going to agree with you, especially hearing your your initial complaints about episode one. Like, like I said before, episode one works fine if you're familiar with everything going in. Like, if I I've seen the movie, I, I'm fine. So I, I got a lot of it initially but as something that's that's a pilot that is trying to basically make a first impression to get you to 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 you know go all in on this show i think it does fail in setting things up enough and i feel like the next episode does a better job of that i think they they should be switched Uh, i should i I, I agree and and you're gonna hear me talk about the tie tie cut uh, every so often, <laughs> uh, which is my cut of which would be my cut of the first six episodes. And as as we continue to talk about episodes beyond episode six, I'll continue uh, changing the tie tie cut. Um, but in in the tie tie cut episode, what's two the tie tie cut? Be nothing but the laughing man OVA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. um, in the tie tie cut episode two and one are swapped. 
Um, I, 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 I just hundred percent agree. agree. I, I should also point out that episode one and two actually aired the same day in its original Japanese release. That makes so much. That makes uh, way in, more in fact, sense. In fact, most of this, the, of the, all six episodes we watched, they all aired October 1st, November 1st, December 1st. They aired two and then you had to wait a month and then it was two and you had to wait a month. Mm. Okay, so that, well, for the first episode, oh. first two episodes, those running together, mm-hmm. I'm fine with. If I, if I was watching those two as a block, I would have walked away way more satisfied than just Agreed. watching the first episode and having to wait a week. Yeah. Cause the first, I mean, for someone, so like to, to briefly run through some of the things that I was super confused about, or I was trying to process in my head when we were going through episode one, obviously full, full and so besides the cyborg bodies, there are androids. Okay. Um, they also have the plugins that some of the cyborgs do. Okay. Um, cyborgs can run as fast as cars or faster than cars, uh, because we have that getaway sequence. Uh, okay. Oh, there's, there's full stealth, full stealth (laughs) and talking mini robot, uh, tanks, uh, (laughs) uh, besides all like a lot at you in this, uh, there, there's, there's the caller, um, which you don't fully understand. Um, but it allows for plug in nonverbal communication, something you, you don't fully understand. Um, and all that is in like I think the first five minutes. And well, and for like, one of my notes was for binge watching, this is perfectly fine. I enjoy that they take the time to world yes. build and they trust the audience. I'm just shocked they're showing that trust. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I feel like anime has always been better about that than most Western studios. And again, if if I was watching the first two episodes back to back, and I hadn't seen the movie, which Tyler, I know you hadn't. Yeah. I would feel much better because at least I know the second episode does give you a better sense of right. what's going on. It starts to explain some things yeah. and you, you can at least walk away being like, okay, there are things I don't get. There are characters I don't quite understand, but I know the show is going to lead me at some point. Right. Well, it's already crazy that you introduced the idea of a cybernetic brain or a cybernetic brain case, but in the same breath, in almost the same breath, they not only introduce that concept, but then they introduce the concept of taking someone into a room, taking out their brain case, and swapping it. And that's insanity. <laughs> well, that's, they, that, that's, that's literally crazy. It's crazy to not only introduce a whole thing, but then like, oh, by the way, the, the Minister of Foreign Affairs likes to body swap with a geisha. And then, and then another person uses that as an excuse to then body swap with the Minister of Foreign Affairs so that he can get a hold of the Ichinose report and then seek asylum in a foreign country. I'm actually glad you said all that because we hadn't actually summarized the plot of episode one, and you, and you did that beautifully. <laughs> yeah, but, um, this is, but this is the thing that that I, lo- I see again. I've watched this a bunch of times, but I love this this episode as an introduction because it tells you what it immediately shows you what everybody on this team is good for. So you've sure. got, you've got the major and Bato going in with their cybernetic enhancements and they're mm-hmm. d- destroying these robot geishas. They're blowing them away really easily and they're taking out people and they're, they're going through. But then you've got Togusa yeah. as the detective, as the, 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 as part of the, the guy with the, the, who thinks a little bit differently than everybody else. Cause he's m- less used to fighting in the field and more <laughs> used to, Togus's special ability, let's be real, his special ability is to look in a mirror and all of a sudden solve the case. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sometimes that's all I gotta do. It's that it's <laughs> which is amazing, but every time he walks near a mirror, I'm about oh, he's about to have an epiphany. Yeah. That, guy, he's, that guy in his mirrors. But, but it's, it's the mullet, that. man. He looks at that wonderful mullet and uh <laughs> great. But but it's again, so but good. but it's one of those things where it's like anybody, you know, if he wasn't on the team they would have just let it go and the guy pretending yeah. to be the foreign minister would have gotten away. And absolutely it, that, that to me is where you've got, when it comes to ghost in the shell, you've got oh, at least standalone complex. You've got, uh, and really as a, as a franchise as a whole, you've got a couple of things that it tries to do over time. You've got times like the, the movie where there is a philosophical question about life and and what like it means fifteen minutes uh, and what it means to to be uh, to be a, a person who's just a brain that can be in any body or to as we'll find out mm-hmm. in, in episode yeah. two the opposite. But then this show also has the mystery, the organizations, the the uh, the Ichinose report, the foreign minister, the. Kobuta, all of these, yeah. all these the NAIPA or whatever they are, whatever that even means. Yeah, <laughs> and I actually, I really enjoy using some fun cyberpunk sci-fi procedural mysteries to dive us into this world of 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 this version of Japan. My my, and again, I'm actually, I'm even the episode one. I, I was in. I enjoyed what I saw. I have criticism, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it. For sure. My biggest no. my biggest takeaway from one and even episode two is that the show does these very clean procedural cases. It focuses on some plot, plot points more than necessary, which could have been spent on characters in their development following the case a little bit more so we get to know them. Like I feel like we're getting the notes of the case rather than the case itself. And I know right. they only have 22 minutes, but sometimes I feel that they could they could maximize their time differently. It, it, it so does that feel we like get, they wrap things up a little too quickly sometimes. Yes. Um, and, and it's something they do fix very quickly. I do not have this complaint for, honestly, right. the second half of what we watched. Correct. And, and, and it's fine. And I know the show is just getting started. Um, the second half of what we watch is are, are also the complex episodes as opposed to the standalone episodes. They do, uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they do tend to get into that. Right. So why, why don't we move to episode two, which is, oh, can I mention one more thing about it? Oh one? yes, absolutely. The other important thing that we have to take away from episode one is the, is section nine's abilities. Cause, and, and the, um, Automaki's friend, uh, Kubota, kind of sums this up for us at the end of the episode, which was that section nine was able to get a plane to be delayed because of inclement weather on a bright, clear, sunny day. (laughs) And that they were able to respond faster than any department or any force could, could do. So that's the other thing that kind of the end of the episode uh, dovetails for us is that the reason why this department exists is because it, it can do things. It can do things that no other department can do in a in a time frame that no other p- department can achieve, and that's what makes them special. That and as Automaki says, that's section nine. It also, yes. as we as we come to find in, in a few episodes that we watch, doesn't make them particularly popular with other aspects right. of the. Uh, one thing, and this isn't specifically for episode one, but since we're talking about it. Um, as someone who'd only seen the movie, and Drew, you mentioned this earlier, the character of the major is kind of jarring if you've only seen the movie. 
because she is totally all over the place. Like she definitely has more personality, which I do like. But when she was kind of yucking it up, I was a little surprised because, again, before this week, I mean, I bought the manga this week, so I'm going to be diving into all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> in true Miles fashion, I ordered the hardcover box set of the entire manga. <laughs> so, um, but but having read a little bit of the manga and watching this. The major is definitely more kind of aligned in terms of how her character is with the manga. And and I just didn't know that. I just had only seen the movie. So it was a little jarring for me for coming from the movie. I was able to kind of read everything fine. I understand the world. I understand how they're, what they're setting up. But when she was kind of cracking wise and showing an actual personality, I was pleasantly surprised, but it did throw me off. Sure. I liked it a lot because I think it was a cool juxtaposition between the top brass were freaking out over this Ichinose report getting out. And she was kind of like, uh, day in the life. Like, this is no big deal. We're going to yeah. get this guy. Well, it, uh, really, it, it almost like she came almost across as like, we have to do this because it's the job, but it's really beneath my abilities. I could stop this on a dime. And she did. They just did. And, 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 so and they, they do a, cool a lot setup. of in, in mission, out of mission differences like when they mm-hmm. they focus when they need to focus and it's a cool it's a cool shift yeah. uh, so let's move on to episode two runaway evidence testation a prototype multi-legged tank has run amok from it te- from its testing site and the culprit appears to be one of its designers the only problem that designer died a week ago I, I do like this case. I think how they do it, even though, the, I mean, again, they speed through the solving of it. I really yes. enjoy because especially if you combine it with the last episode, this this idea they're playing with of the kind of digital, I guess, uh, blueprint of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it also introduces that Section 9 is, is actually not a well-known organization. Like one of the cops says, I didn't think Section 9 really existed. So they're yeah. kind of like this urban legend, and I really like that. They're also still pretty it's new. They're, they're a new organization. They haven't been around for a tremendously long amount of time. But uh, so, so we have this tank that's run amok. It seems to be going into a populated area of, of a city uh, after escaping its test site. It hasn't killed anybody, but it has done a lot of property damage. And so you have section, you have section nine trying to to figure out why it went haywire. You've got the company that created it trying to stifle them a little bit because they don't want them to know yeah. about because because they're they they could be at fault and what they could get sued or they could lose their government contract and and it all comes down and I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the ending of this episode. It all comes down to a man who due to the religious uh, f- beliefs of his parents, prevented him from getting a cybernetic brain and body that would have solved some lifelong medical issues that he had. And, and so I, he ended up I dying. I really like this story. I think the story is well done. Story. Again, I think they should have realigned how they chose to t- spend their time and write it because – it just it feels like it just they just zoom through it. And I think it's something you could tell in a 22 episode story or 22, a 22 minute story. But I feel like it's been a little too long uh, screwing up with the Tamagotchis and Tachikomas, please. You're going to drive me crazy. <laughs> doing that. 
And, and, and I even wrote, the, the child tanks are delightfully unnerving. Especially when one of them gets shot and it's like, maybe they'll do a special analysis. Like, they're just, yeah. I love that they're they're sentient, but they're they're slightly off because they're they're they're, they're very self-aware yeah and i i really i like them i like their design it's that kind of very old school almost 70s sci-fi anime design it feels like it would have been something like gundam 0079 like i really like uh those tanks the the, the tachikomas yeah the, yeah the tamagotchis yeah. Uh, they're they're good uh, and 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 the the multiped tank in this episode is really good too. It actually looks kind of like the 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 yep. think tank from the movie. The the H A W two o six I think is its like working name. Uh, it's a four legged uh, it's a four legged multiped tank with two mounted Gatling guns essentially and a massive turret <laughs> weapon on the top <laughs> of it. Um, and it is decked out uh i mean we kind of as the, it's kind of cool because as the episode goes we learn more and more about the specs of the tank and why it made why it was so special why the designer um whose whose name i'm blanking on but why why he was so special and why the why the reason why the government would be so interested in this tank um, i actually i really enjoyed the pacing of it i did think that agreeing with miles a little bit that there was a lot of time spent on just watching the tachikomas drive behind the haw or, or maybe don't spend a full like, maybe maybe don't spend a full 30 seconds like showing uh the mater's boobs squished up or and that's yeah. out a tank like and I, I, because, I, I'm just going to tell you, Miles, you're going to see a lot of that stuff in the manga. <laughs> I, I mean, well, I, I'm aware of that. Like, I, yeah, I've seen the movie. I understand that this 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 IP does not shy away from that. But it there's a difference between doing it like just as a thing and then like really zeroing in. And and what's weird is this this show does not make a, a a huge habit out of the six episodes that we watched. I really felt this was the only time that it felt gratuitous and out of place. Like it didn't feel like it was part of the story. It didn't feel like it was like something that would have happened had the camera not been there. This was just like here you go. Here's some t- literally here's some TNA. I, I I agree with you on that. I made a note of that myself watching that episode. It's like that's that's weird. Why, why, why do that? Like maybe don't spend 30 seconds of her getting out of the vehicle and give us a little bit more of, you know, the guy's story a little bit earlier. Uh, this yeah. episode does in, in introduce uh, to change the subject a little bit, a little more of the kind of the cyberpunk kind of crime or not necessarily crime, but like companies withholding information that, cause they give the, they give them yes. all the information about the tank that we have. And then you have Saito, uh, which is our first kind of real look at oh, Saito. My boy. Uh, so <laughs> Saito is the, the sniper of section nine. He's got this yeah. eye patch, but it's not really an eye patch. It's a cybernetic eye that called the Hawkeye that communicates with satellites to narrow in a sniper shot, which is yeah. so cyberpunk. It's great. It's, oh, so, it's so good. And I this sniper it. rifle, they have to bolt it down to a bridge, like literally the, I think like the top truss of a bridge. <laughs> it's probably twice as long as any human being. And so satisfying. I love it, I love it so I, much. It's so satisfying to watch the, that those, 
Um, there were two like really great shots um, in this episode that I'll touch on. One is at the very beginning where you have one of the um, weapon test site workers yelling at the uh, the Haw 206 to stop. And all you see is uh, the man is out of focus in the foreground and the Haw 206 just turns around as slow as, as slow as possible um, and then just stares at this guy. And it's such a, I just love how much time they took as like each step just is oh, yeah. so heavy. You feel the weight, you feel like the power of this machine, which is important because it's about to do some crazy stuff. Um, and I really like that shot. And then the second one was the sniper scene when he shoots and you see the bullet. And then right as he's about to make contact, the Hall 206 just sidesteps with amazing agility. Which is what those multi-ped tanks can do. But again, we also find out that, no, the company is still withholding information because they didn't. They don't want everything to get out. And, yeah. and uh, just... One of the shots that, that gets to me the most in this is that, so again, we learned that this, this guy, he died and his, his buddy that worked on this tank with him Oba. put his brain in the tank because he said, once, once my body is dead, I'm free of it and you can do this for me. So he promised yeah. to do it for him, puts him in the tank and, and it's gone up and they've ha- at this point figured out who he is. And so they're trying to do everything they can to stop it. And, uh, and and he gets to his parents' house and the guns are focused on the on the parents and then all of a sudden Ishikawa comes out with this like glue gun basically to stop. I love it, I love which, the goop gun. Which is which is yeah, great. Goop and some, gun's good. Which but and apparently that's a brand new thing that they had never seen before. But Yeah, so that was that was kind of the that was the what everybody got frustrated on, or what at least uh Bato comments on that they're hiding this anti multiped tank weapon. Right. But but then but you've got the major who has jumped on to the to the tank and is trying to jack into it to 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 stop it. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, in that process, it fries the guy's brain. So he's actually gone now. But yeah, he does. She gets she gets the feeling that he he wasn't he just wanted to show them his new metal body. And and then it flashes to the parents and the mom is clutching this tiny toy version of the tank. And it's like, okay, we have a whole different peek at this. It, they, they, they loved their son. They were proud of their son. It's just, mm-hmm. they couldn't bring themselves to do this thing that would violate their beliefs. That's all I wanted is I wanted a little bit more of that. Give me, give me a scene of that, like a really good scene with that. To just just deliver that point home, and I know I've I've given a lot of criticisms about these first two episodes. I really like them, and put together, I think they do a really good job of establishing this world. Mm-hmm. But I, I it, watching it, especially as someone you know, almost twenty years later, I, I can't help but like you know pick at it just because of of some of its its flaws. If, if I had watched this show in two thousand and four when it first came out as part especially not having been as familiar with anime at the time or maybe 2000 maybe i was still watching anime but still i i I probably would have been fine especially those two together right but as individual pieces i can't not overlook some of the, the things and just because i'm criticizing them doesn't mean i think they're bad or that i don't like them i'm just noting it for for 
the sake of the discussion, the sake of academic, you know, reading of the film or the, the, the show. One thing I really like that episode two does is it leaves you with the question of did the major stop him or did he not do it? Because you kind of see from his perspective, the last thing he really sees because he activates the gun. So, you know, we, we know from a previous scene that when right before the Gatling gun goes off, the, the three claws that are on, on the gun open and those claws open. So it yeah. looks like he's going to shoot his parents. And then I and then we kind of see from his perspective that uh, they're they're there and they're clutching this little tiny model toy, essentially, of, of his weapon design. So they were very proud of him. And, and in that moment, we don't know like if he has a change of heart or the mayor stops him. And that question is just kind of left hanging really heavy. Like the show ends kind of on a very dour, hard note. Um, nobody feels very good about the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, Oba, uh, Kago, Kago is the weapons designer. Oba is... Um, distraught because he put the brain in there and then they they tell him that um, Kago essentially has died now from yeah. disease um, with the brain being burnt and you know the there's a and then there's a ton of fallout obviously for the weapon manufacturing company that we don't really get to see much of but um, one of the important things I wanted I took away from this episode was how section nine works um, because since they can communicate non-verbally over a <laughs> unbelievably massive distance yeah, um, like all the way always, from Georgia to to Oregon. Yeah, uh, except we're we're talking. They don't have to talk. They just <laughs> whoop, it just goes. Yeah. Um. But so it sets up these really cool scenes where the chief is working oftentimes with um you know politicians or CEOs. Like he is with the highest of high ups, trying to get information from them. Uh, Togusa and some of the others are off doing investigatory work. And then you have the major and Bato typically doing a lot of the dirty work. And they're all communicating in time in that moment. They're all having to make these very fast decisions or relay uh, information very quickly and precisely. Uh, and it's a very, it, and I think that's really a good way to set up, I think, how the rest of the show is going to work and how the rest of the, invent, the investigations into these mysteries are, are going to be. Until the next episode. So this episode is we we might not have a ton to say because uh, there's going to be some some differentiation of opinions. Uh, episode three, some <laughs> a modest rebellion, android and I, a cult favorite line of robot servants called Jerry's, uh, have started committing suicide, and Section Nine is called in to figure out why. Well, Drew, obviously, it's ridiculous to call it suicide because we know Jerry's don't have a soul. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, I, we like to call it something else. Yeah, so uh, I d- actually did like that one little bit because it's the first episode that that really shows a public meditation on what makes someone real with that debate and pushes – that's one of the main themes of Ghost in the Shell's IP is, is you know, what what is a person, you know? Yeah. And so I do like that. Uh everything else <laughs> about this episode. Um the, oh, there is one thing. I do like that they um in the episode it shows more of an attempt to incorporate uh the cast's actual character, but it still has difficulty doing so and delivering a completely compelling case that feels complete. Uh, I think this case 
is is for for to, to hmm. we we were talking before the show and and uh, this is a family uh, show for the most part. So I'm just gonna say, uh, didn't love it. <laughs> Was it wonderful? Uh, I think the case is uh, not quite good. Uh, Tyler, how do you feel about it? Let me tell you where this episode ends up in the the tie tie cut. It's not in it. It's gone. <laughs> this episode doesn't exist in my cut of this show. It's it is bad. I I it is really bad. I, I don't disagree. Um, it, it, and honestly, it's, it's the one episode of and I, I will say this: it's the one episode of everything we saw that I think is bad. Yeah, and I will tell you why this episode bothers me the most. There are there are like a little thing. There have been and. and and I think a lot of it is like in episode one and two, there were little things where I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would it do that right now? Like an example in episode two, at one point we see the multiped tank coming out of a tunnel in its walking mode. Like it was walking one after like, you know, which is its slowest mode. And I'm like, why is it doing that? It's got wheels. Go, go multiped tank, go. And so like, but you know, you just pass that on in this episode. I and I think it's because we spend so so little screen time with our villain. We're not well, villain with our criminal. Let's just call it. He's not really a bad guy. He's just a, he's just a criminal. No, he um, created a virus that caused public pro- or property damage to other people's private property. I would call him. Well, yeah, also, but like, if you believe that there there there's more to it, then he's also causing to commit suicide. Basically, an incel was being a piece of crap. The end. That's that's the story. <laughs> yeah, and and and, be, and because we spend so little time with him, his motivation, it's it, it's nonsense. It, it it's nonsense. It makes no sense. And like, not only is this guy not just some dude in a basement who's miserable and hates the world. No, he's the son of a Canadian diplomat. This guy has diplomatic immunity. He's got money. And, and influence, and for whatever reason, because he doesn't get along with the other girls, he decides to put a virus in the, the rest of the Jerry's. And later on, the major like pontificates about why he does it, but he never says why he did it, which is right. unbelievably important, is to get, why, do, why did you do this? But he, all he wants to do in his line, you know, uh, coming from him, he says, I just want to be with you forever. You had that, you idiot. You had your Jerry. Ah, but see, this is like, this is the thing. This is the thing. Because I like this episode. I I I sure. defend this episode. It's not my favorite episode, but I'm gonna point out some things that that I see in this episode that that might paint a slightly different picture. First off, go for it. First off, the the new wave French film angle. The film that they discuss in It's Truffaut. It's it's a real movie. It's a real yes. film that they're directly quoting. Yeah, the, that's cool. The Jerry that he has is styled after the main actress in that movie. The yeah. other you kind of get a glimpse of that at the tail tail end. Yeah, the the, yeah. the 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 film that that Bato picks up when they're investigating his apartment. Another movie by the same director, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The the idea that this person is attached to this thing seems weird for us because we don't spend enough time with him. You're right about that. But every line that he says to her is not him speaking. It's him quoting this movie. And that's right. And that, and that's, that's a subtle difference. But, but again, we only see it from that aspect. And I, I I will give you that. But I, I also love that when you see the Jerry talk back to him, it's movements are rough. They're, 
off. They they're they're it's clearly uh, uh, clearly an older model that isn't designed to do the things that that newer models can be, which we also see when we go back to the Section Nine headquarters and we see the triplets that you may may or may not have noticed who are other AIs that work for Section yeah. Nine. And or, you have the ta- you, could, you have the Tachikomas. Or you just have the Geishas from Episode One. Yeah, or like, you have the you also have, androids. Yeah, you have the Tachikomas who are. Oh, yeah. Seem to be fully conscious, fully sentient. Although you and know, who knows? All of that's fine. I don't think the episode is bad because these things exist. I think it's bad because they do a poor job writing the case. That that is really where it comes down to, like, like all of the aspects, the film stuff, and even the the incel Matt the world nonsense. Like, look. I can buy that. That's fine. But what the problem for me was, was just the connective tissue wasn't there for me. Like the, 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 his plan is stupid. He's a moron. I don't know how he's, he's doing this because he's, he seems incompetent. Well, and, 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 and that's the other thing. He he is incompetent. He avoided his he's only in Japan to get out of doing his compulsory military service in Canada. He's yep. he he's using his father's influence and diplomatic immunity to try to get away with this stuff. He doesn't really think about he just wants his he on some level he knows that his Jerry is special to him and it will be the most special one when it's the only one left. And, and I, I get it. This, this story spends a lot of time not actually having us take the, the criminal through that. And it's all the pontification of the people that we know and trust. I think they leaned right. more into style there. And that's something that I appreciated. I didn't, I, I I liked them talking about it and having him only talk in the film quotes from this one movie. But again, I recognize that's not going to hit everybody the same way. I just yeah, want to throw, I mean, throw out a voice of a, a voice of, of appreciation for this episode. No, and that, and that's and that's fine. Like I mean, I love the fact that they they in two thousand two have basically an incel as a bad guy. I I'm for that. I just I think everything just wasn't. It, the whole episode felt half baked, and there was some good stuff. Like, like, you, like I think Tyler mentioned, you know, the major does a little uh, reflecting. I think at the bar or something, and then you get this weird stinger at the end. Like, it's just like it just ends. Well, and like, again, almost th- th- that, the that is probably the one criticism I will have is that they try to set it up that the the Jerry does something that seems antithetical to what you would think it does, implying. Well, does it have a little more consciousness or does it not have a little more consciousness? It's it's that in, in itself is haphazard. And I criticize this show personally in that they wrap things up a little too quickly in some episodes to where they don't always work. Yeah, I would have liked it. So I guess maybe if I if I had to include this in the title, cut, I would make so the the Jerry's last line and and then Togusa's discovery that she added on to the actual so there were so her last oh, man, line Togusa. well there were there were two last lines there's the last line that she which is a direct quote from the movie uh and then there's a line that she says after that which Togusa discovers is not a part of the movie if they she introduced that scene earlier in the episode yes would work so, so much better scene yes that scene should really be in the middle of the episode and then the rest of the episode could be Togusa or other people figuring out like how did a Jerry this should not be possible. What 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 she felt that sentiment 
shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed shouldn't be happening and and it's that idea is like she shouldn't have a ghost but that is something that almost seems like a symptom of a ghost existing in the jerry and uh that's more interesting to me if that had yes. been the, the the exploration of the episode i would have been more about it what it ended up being was just a brat who wanted to have a special toy that he was overly attached to because he didn't get along with other girls and i, I hated that from the moment that he was introduced um and oh, I also hated the fact that one of the the Tachikoma when there's a scene where they go into the factory where the Jerry's were made because they don't get made in the factory anymore, and the major who is like a trained stealth person goes cloaked into the factory to try and dig up some things that she's probably not supposed to, and that that part doesn't bother me at all because she's a trained combatant the tachikoma does the same thing that thing is loud as crap and we've already established in episode one that just because you're stealth doesn't mean people can't hear you because they step on a wooden floorboard and it creaks and the geisha hears them so that tachikoma is just wandering around in stealth mode being loud as crap and nobody cares nobody hears it we just blissfully ignore it it pulls a sheet off of like literally a decloaks to pull a sheet off a naked body of an android and everybody's just like oh huh there's a there's a robot thing over there and like no but no no outrage no outrage <laughs> I was fuming at that point I'm, in the episode. I'm hearing plenty of outrage now. <laughs> I I'm I'm looking at the time that we've run on this episode and we're only halfway through our episodes, so I feel okay. it might be it might benefit us as we move from our standalone episodes this week to our first trio of complex episodes. These episodes honestly are a little looser tied the last two are certainly tied together because they they cliffhanger it but uh as we get into to sort of the the overall complex of this season the laughing man case uh so i actually feel like we're going to probably talk about this stuff as one big collection of things Four, five, six. I, I do want to separate a little bit because especially the uh the episode four the visual episode device four, yeah yeah interceptor it fe- almost feels like the other things were like the standalone OVA prologues and here's your first episode. This is the first episode that feels like a real investigation into a case with weight. And like you said, we're introduced to the Laughing Man case already. Okay, that sounds interesting. That's an ominous name. And the way they're talking about it in in the exposition in a natural fashion that doesn't feel like an info dump. Um, this is mostly a Togusa-focused episode, which is – Awesome, because I, I love Togusa. I like Togusa but we do see more of the personalities of the Section 9 crew develop. And this is a cool case, because we start this episode off, and we, okay, there's there's some there's some hubbub going on at police headquarters, and one of Togusa's old buddies, work buddies that he used to work with in the force, found something, and he's got to give it to him. I'm going to give it to you tonight. And then he mysteriously dies in a car wreck. And we get a really creepy, a a wonderfully shot sequence of an extremely creepy captain, police captain named Naboo. I think his name is. Yeah. Uh, Oh, man. Oh, such. It was so good. Um, It opens up with with um, you don't know who he is yet. It's just a man in a yellow raincoat and he's drenched. He's absolutely drenched. There's water pooling on the floor. We get a shot of his reflection on a pool of water on the ground. And he just kind of slowly walks into this detective's room where Yamaguchi is working. And then they have they have a very, very tense back and forth. So it already establishes that stakes are really high. 
And Yamaguchi is under is feeling pressured. He's discovered something he probably shouldn't have. And that's set out with great tone, masterfully done in the first few seconds of the show mm-hmm. of the episode. Everything about this episode is is top notch. And I, I wrote best episode so far when when I when I was finishing my notes because yep. I think every every aspect of this feels like a really good procedural. They take their time with the case. You get all this information and it's just, it's well paced and it's satisfying. And yes, we, as you said, we get the Toga Samira moment, but in this specific episode, it's, it's, it's vitally important. And and this is really where they take. So Togusa existed in the manga. He existed in the movie, but the manga and the movie are really the, the major Kusanagi show. It's the major, major Kusanagi story. They they serve, at least in what I've read of the manga and in that movie, they serve as side characters. But this show lets Togusa be something different. And they they really lean on his like they they lean on kind of Blade Runner inspirations. They lean oh, on, on a, lot of, a lot of really, yeah. really awesome stuff. And it shows that he is very emotionally involved in this case now. For sure. And- so the case ends up being that all the cops were basically being spied on in the house. Yeah. So so Togusa gets the from from the widow of this detective who was yeah. killed. Yamaguchi pulls a baller move. Let's just say that the dude knows that he's in deep, deep, deep. And instead of taking the incriminating evidence with him, which would have that would have been it, he mails it to himself. And is in his and in his wife ends up getting it and is able to pass it on. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And, and the thing is, it's not it's not a twist ending. We see him at the beginning of the episode put yeah. something in the post office box. We see yeah, that because he knows he's smart enough to know. And this is that kind of this is this is again where you know as we get further into this story, you see Togusa and Aramaki thinking about this case differently than the major and Bato and Ishikawa thinking about this case. And that is, that is such an interesting thing. And it's partly why that team works so well. And and I think the major even comments on that. I don't know if it's in this episode or in other episodes, but so she, she, she makes a good comment. And, and what's weird. And what I think is interesting that we could possibly draw from this is we see the major kind of not spying, but she's, she's observing uh, Togusa. Like she's, she's, yeah, she's kind of like trying to figure him out in a sense of like, okay, what, why is what's he doing? What's, what's making him so driven and how is he figuring this out? Like, she's kind of like, I don't want to say like den mothering him, but she's, she's definitely kind of like, kind of like, huh? Well, she's still she new. Has he, this weird uh, yeah. kind of thing in the background. Well, he's still new to the that. team at this point. Togus is right. new to the team. So she's right. Have they, have they, have they said that in the show? Yeah. So yeah. in the very first episode, um, they they come back from the geisha kidnapping, and Togusa goes right to the practice range, and you get the scene between um, Togusa yes. and the major, yes, yes, where yes, she yes. says like, "Hey, if you have to," she's like, "That's a lot of money wasted. If you have to come back to the range after every mission, maybe look at getting a prosthetic body," which tells us what Togusa is, uh, and kind of and like you said, that den mothering where she's really. She says that he's new, and she's really kind of. That's right. I, I, for, I forgot. They're, they're, those two, first two episodes do put a lot of information. In there. <laughs> yes, yeah. they do. Uh, but but we also in that scene in the first episode we get the idea that oh well the weapon that Togusa wants to use is this revolver 
that is yeah. in his mind more reliable, but it's also older. It's not what everybody else is yeah. using. It's it, it, it's, it's really... the nine millimeter, and it comes up again in episode three. One of the great things, episode, one of the few good things that comes out of episode three is this, um, is this, I uh, this this love for the antiquated. Um, you know, for Togusa, it's his nine millimeter revolver. Uh, for Bottle, it's his car. He's and, and yeah. Togusa. Togusa smacks him for that. He's got a clunker of a car. For in that episode, it was Michael, whatever that dummy's name is from Canada. Uh, it was his love for the the Jerry model. But but, but even even uh, Togusa's wife is a fan of old movies. Yeah, the 20th century movies. You can't beat them. <laughs> the 20th century movies. Gosh, what's funny is that this show is set in 2030, and watching this in <laughs> watching this in 2004 mm-hmm. is. Like, oh, yeah, 2030, <laughs> 20th century. Yeah. And now we're in 2020. I'm like, yeah, 20th century movies. You can't beat them. <laughs> you can't beat them. But, but Tugusa anyway. ends up, Tugusa ends up so, looking at the evidence yeah, that Yamaguchi so, sends him and which, he notices which, something very important. Yeah, so, so he gets all of these pictures. And all these pictures just seem totally normal there's some saucy pictures of one of the detective's wives in which Togusa says something super awkward yeah my <laughs> does that my, sometimes too no big deal <laughs> that line cracks me up which i better call her hey honey i'm not coming in i'm not coming home <laughs> you're not coming home uh but uh and and so he's and i actually like how he figures this out i do too he's staring at all of these pictures and he's and he, he can't quite tell. It's just a picture of, oh, there's this person, you know, there's this person, yeah. there's this person. And he's he's washing up, it's late, and he looks in the mirror, and all of a sudden he realizes, oh. Oh. And he races back out. All of the pictures that he has are from the point of view of the people. There's no cameraman in any of these pictures. There's no camera. Meaning... All of these detectives on this police force have what they call interceptors. And they introduce this. This is actually the one criticism of of the episode I have is when uh, a dude dies in the car wreck as he's as he's driving off. Because, again, I knew like I I didn't pay attention to it the first couple of times I saw this episode because I didn't know what interceptors were. But now that I've, I've known that there are interceptors and that I've seen this you know, a hundred times as he's driving off the bridge because something is flashed in his eyes. It's like, Oh, the interceptors got me too. Or whatever yeah. he says at that point. It's like, yeah, oh, I wish that wasn't there, but I do too. But again, it's as, as we figure out, cause all of the detectives we should, we should focus in this department are working on the laughing man case. And this is something we're going to find out a lot more in the next episode. A lot more. But the the, la- the laughing man case is is from six years ago, and it's kind of a cold case. But it's important enough that they keep a staff working on it, even though they're not yep. likely to find and, anything. And it's important because seven major microbot companies were blackmailed, and the head of one of the biggest ones was kidnapped, and it was a big, big, big deal. So. And a massive failure by the by the police department. It was a it was an it was a PR nightmare. And so they kind of keep this task force going on this case. Uh, it's it's a very much a PR move. Um, you know whether when it was initially created they really thought they could solve it or not. It was something that was done 
um, to try and save face. Yeah. But, and, and as part of this, they, they have created something called interceptors, which are a, a type of, of nanomachine that, that again, we're getting into microbots, nanomachines, little tiny cellular sized uh, robots that do stuff that, that, Oh, you, you have a, you have a suspect, just wait for them to go to the doctor. You, you inject them with, with interceptors and you then will be able to see and hear everything that they do from yep. their perspective. For, I, I think they last for six months, something like that. Yeah, they they yeah, they, they, they eventually that. expire, so it, it's a limited time frame. But it but it's important that they don't last for forever. Sure, but what's interesting about this and what what the the detective at the beginning and what Togusa learns from the evidence he gave him is that all of these detectives have interceptors too, and they don't know they have them, and it was all done without any oversight which they were it was done to without have. oversight and it was approved and done before it would they were even passed to be legal right uh, i believe so uh so yeah it was it's a it was very bad and so that gets blown wide open and basically the end of the episode has this press oh. conference Sorry. and as as they're kind of doing this very saving face bad apology type of deal. All of a sudden, one of the guys starts, starts acting weird. And then we see what we are told is the laughing man logo. When we see his face on television. And basically the episode ends with the laughing man returning and saying, he's going to murder the superintendent general. If the truth doesn't come out. Yep. And it's, Great. So good. That press conference. So what makes the press conference scene great, in my opinion, is you because we have two main perspectives. We have the perspective of all the reporters who are in the press conference looking at uh, the these police brass, the superintendent general, the uh, the man who ends up getting taken over by the laughing man who his his uh, cyber brain case was hacked. Um, but then we have the perspective of our protagonists who are back at he- headquarters watching it through TV. So they see it with the Laughing Man logo superimposed over all the TV screens. So they can't see the the hacked man's face. But the right. reporters just see a guy and everybody else interacting. So it's really cool. But, I mean, technically they see the Laughing Man logo too because – because oh, they have cybernetic eyes. eyes. That, that, right. that, this yes. is all. This is all important information for the next couple of episodes. <laughs> right, right. So it's really cool. We get a very interesting back and forth. Sometimes the show gives us just the 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 man's face, um, where we as viewers don't see the Laughing Man logo. There's only like two shots like that, uh, but it's it's wonderfully done and and set up. Uh, obviously, there's a plant reporter in there. <laughs> That plant yeah. reporter is so good. Um, but the, the the important thing while I'm talking about him, the important thing about the plant reporter is he brings up a very circumstantially incriminating piece of information, which is that the superintendent general has a connection to Serrano, the company that was attacked by the laughing man, um, the company that creates the interceptors, which was then approved for police use and put in the detective's eyes. I thought, I thought the chief did that. They blame the chief. So what happens is the superintendent general comes out and he says, oh, basically this was done by Chief Nebu. He's been summarily dismissed. No, 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 no. I mean, I thought, I thought that the connection was – did we know that before um, the Section 9 chief said something? 
that the superintendent general is connected to Serrano? Yeah. Yes, because yes, because uh, Major Kusanagi goes and gives that information to that weird voice. Uh, oh, right, 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 right. Wish you would have told me you were coming. That's that sounds right. a little bit like Ron Funches before Ron Funches. Oh, was but, 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 yeah, if you haven't heard that guy, uh, the Japanese voice actor for him is great. He's that, better. It's better. It's better. That, it's that, be- that, that scene is better in, in the Japanese. That, that happens sometimes. Um, yeah. I also want to point out before before we fully go into that, this, this is all in episode five, the fallout yes. from what happens at the end. The Laughing Man logo is this fun little uh, white and blue smiley face with the, the words, I thought what I'd do was I'd pretend I was one of those deaf mutes, which is a line from Catcher in the Rye. Um, and it's usually about uh, – him dealing with Holden Caulfield, the character dealing with phonies. Yes. So I, I, I thought that was a, a really a little cute thing. So, um, so you, you've, you've, you've discovered the, the, uh, the quote, uh, the, the JD Salinger quote. Do you know yeah, the laughing man is also a reference to a short story. Uh, I have not read Salinger since I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, I haven't in a long time. <laughs> but so so The Laughing Man as is also a short story written by Salinger, uh, which cool. is about a uh, a character who he's at this camp with a bunch of kids and they they refer to and he keeps telling them stories about the laughing man, the laughing man, the laughing man is part of this sort of grander narrative, which it seems to be kind of an idealized version of himself that, that he is telling these stories of. So yeah. there's a lot of Salinger in this season. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> I, I love how episode five begins. Uh, it's the second C episode. Uh, the inviting bird will chant decoy uh, because we get this one higher up. Uh, explain to our chief what everything that's going on. And I love how the, how the chief seems sassy, even when he doesn't seem to be intending it. Like the guy is laying out the situation and uh, the chief says in this blase fashion, yes, your assessment seems accurate. And it's just like the way he says it, because he's not looking at him. He's just, he he's looking like almost at the wall. I just love that. It, it just feels like I have to put up with these idiots. Yeah. Like, Adamaki is, is, is PO'd because essentially he's being told at that time that, uh, you know, this is being this whole, everybody's actions are being closely watched. This is going to be quiet and discreet. And that includes section nine, which Adamaki is obviously not about. Uh, he wants to, he wants to go after this aggressively and you actually see him get more irritated. Yeah. I'm going to work you guys like dogs. Well, it's, it's mostly because, we have the story of what happened with the laughing man as they have provided it. This event happens with the laughing man and the, the public confrontation of the head of Serrano genomics on the street. All of a sudden, everybody's eyes are hacked. They only see this logo. The only people that, that don't see the logo are a couple of homeless people who happen to be nearby who didn't have cybernetic enhancements who couldn't have been hacked. And, from there, a series of hacking attempts and stock manipulation, and and I, I forget all the specific details, but yeah, and this comes from the latter half of this episode. I think the flashback of that initial 
right. Serrano kidnapping. Yeah, eventually we we learn a lot about this because um, the major goes into a VR dive essentially to view old news. Yeah, the, the, they start off by going with what they they have been tracking as their like basically their main suspect, uh, the now A. Yeah, which in the very in like right after the our very beginning scene, Automaki sits everybody down and he lays out a bombshell which is his theory about what's happening right now which essentially this is this is a far this is a farce that now a is not the laughing man that this right. is a this is a police setup so that they can save face by pinning the blame of the laughing man case 6 years prior on this person now a and that they're going to try that section section 9 is going to try and essentially expose all that um and get to the bottom of it which is you know, essentially, uh, Section Nine works with the police, and now they're trying to expose something that would massively damage them. So there is a lot of tension between all the well, players, and that's what I love about how this how this story is opening things up. Because not only are they fighting bad guys, but they're also fighting internal corruption. And yep. I mean, this really makes the whole cyberpunk noir thing feel really fleshed out. And and this investigation montage feels the most noir-like so far because they go into some sea places. There's a hilarious uh, scene where the one dude's being questioned, but isn't yeah, it does not stop watching his porn. Yeah. <laughs> I think, is it, is it Pazu that goes? I think so it's it, Pazu, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pa- so, pa- um, so all the members go out to, to question people because they're trying to figure out more about Nanano, uh, Nanoe. They're trying to figure out his profile essentially and so they're asking a bunch of different people about him which is really important when ishigawa ends up linking all this stuff together uh later in the episode but yeah this this pazu ends up just having to deal with this yakuza who won't stop watching (laughs) so and this is really the first the first thing that pazu's gotten to do which i like So, so this and again, a lot of this stuff is speculation because they don't spend a lot of time talking about Pazu's backstory in this show. But mm-hmm. he is a guy like much like Togusa was recruited from the from the police department, detective agencies, etc. All signs point to Pazu being recruited from organized crime. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, he, he seems to have those connections. And he seems to be the like the guy that like he can fight as we see later on, but he's like the he's the seedy underbelly guy. He's not the the Mm-mm. right side of the tracks guy. You know, and we don't right. know how much he's enhanced yet at this point, do we? I, I you know, I don't know that we ever find out how much he's enhanced. Yeah, because I, I, we don't see him Besides, there, there's uh, in this up. Was it in this episode, or is it in the next it's episode? The, we see him do some hand-to-hand combat. That's in the next he, episode. But uh, but yeah, they, over the course of the series, they make a lot of they they make a lot of statements about how Togusa is not enhanced, and there are a few. Well, never mind. I'm not gonna say that. Uh, th- there are some instances where a character gets hurt, and a, another character who is enhanced is fine by the next episode. And the other character is still hurt in the next episode, implying that some people have more or less cyberization because of that. We never really see that situation with Pazu or Boma. Boma gets, gets his time in the sun in, in the next episode as well. Um, Yep. But uh, I think this is also the first episode we get the major's name said, and really the first time we spent any intimate time with her. 
Yeah, it's a cool. It's a that's an interesting scene. Um, that yeah, it does. Scene. It does a lot because it, they did a lot with that with that scene in terms of how it was blocked, how everyone reacted to her, and how she reacted to them compared to how she reacts to everyone else. This was, I think, the softest we see in her terms of her interactions with people. Um, I, she, this scene is a direct reference to something that happens in the manga that I will tell you guys off air because it is something that is censored in most releases of the manga. Oh, well, I mean, the, the, they do tease the um, the sexuality of, of um, Makoto in this scene. And I think they do a very good job of it. I think they do a really good job of just doing everything well. And even as she's doing her investigation, I just think everything about the scene is well done. It's well paced. And it says it gives you a lot without telling you a lot in terms of her character. And I really like that. There's more to it than that, that, would paint that in a different mm-hmm. aspect that I will, again, you can look it up. It's, it, well, it's, it's, I, I mean, I've got, I've got the manga like two. Yeah. I, I, I was telling our, <laughs> I was telling our audience that they can look it up. Cause I'm going to tell so you, after we stop plot, though, but this is a massive expository dump of information. Yes. That's extremely critical to the next few. The, the first uh, of yes. many, the first of many expository dumps in this, <laughs> in this. But I, I, but I think the way they do it is really, really good. I really yeah. liked how they delivered this because it didn't feel so much as a dump. And and because I mean yeah, they've said this takes place in a different timeline than the manga, like they're not going strictly by the manga. So we're we're taking this at the value of what's in the show. Sure. And there was nothing censored in the show, in terms of what we see. For sure. So and so I I think that this is a really solid scene. And yes, we get that we then we get the whole um, actual footage of. The laughing, the first laughing man incident, and 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 we also get a lot. I think this is the first true cliffhanger ending. But both um, the chief and the major seem a little. I don't know what the quite the word is. They're at odds with each other about what they think the case is. Yeah, but 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 the major doesn't seem that concerned. She she talks about the laughing man like he's an artist who ends up disappointing her, like. He, yeah. He's like, you know, he started off like, you know, uh, you know, really great. But then he just kind of got lazy and and it was just kind of blase. Which I don't I know like, where that comes from because he disappears like he does his thing and then he just. Right. He just I, nips. So where I don't know what she's talking about when she says that he he got kind of blase or I can't remember her exact. I don't uh, remember her exact words, so but I, she, she just basically takes him as if he was an artist who started off really good and then. <laughs> Kind of went downward. Yeah, and I mean, I, I but I still, I still like it. But they, yeah, they're both at odds, and I like it that 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 the chief and Makoto are at odds because for the audience, especially because the Laughing Man is not in the manga, it's not in the original film, so we don't know what's happening. Yeah. We don't know what's real, what's like if there is a laughing man, if it was a group of people like like the chief seems to think it is. We we just don't know. And I really like that because there's no hard evidence right now, so we just get to guess and theorize. So I want to move into episode 6. 
Yeah, because um, I basically, think, because I think what you guys have said just a second ago is hugely important, a hugely important revelation and thing to attach to, considering yeah. the events of the sec- of the sixth episode. Yeah, uh, I mean, basically, as far as plot goes, episode five is, the, is them just looking in to this this person, and we get a cliffhanger ending of the the superintendent chief giving another press conference or a, a gala or whatever it is. And at the place that the laughing man has claimed he is going to assassinate him. Right. And then things start to go wrong. Oh, well, uh, um, but the major, uh, we get one quick scene where the major goes up to chief Adamaki and says, I'm often an outcase. I want Pazu and Saito to come with me to protect the superintendent general Dido. Right. That's That's what my ghost is telling me. Um, and that's her instinct. And so he approves it. And those three go off to the press conference in person to essentially bear witness to what we're about to see in episode six. So we start episode six. Copycat will dance meme. Meme. Mimi? You mean Mimi? It's pronounced Mame. Mimi. It's uh, Mame. Uh, so basically, we, we are here at the at the press conference and things seem okay. Things seem fine. We don't have a a tremendous amount going on. The, the superintendent general is about to go on stage. The major is in her military uniform at this point, which is uh, something we have not seen her in uh, because she's actually wearing uh, something. Um, (laughs) The costuming in this show for her is so weird in this first season. It's <laughs> uh, but she she does kind of immediately get worried because she's hearing some weird feedback come from the security personnel feed. Uh, and she actually and she actually asks around if her feed is coming through okay um, from the police jammer. Everybody says it does. Um, and their 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 theory, their working theory is that a that one of the security personnel is going to get hacked, um, which what I one thing I yep. love about this, and it's such a subtle thing that I had to kind of watch it again to like click. Oh, because when she says that, she's talking to one of the lower end dudes on the security detail mm-hmm. and not the upper end dude on the security detail because the thing that they have found, because they are watching Nanao's apartment, they are watching things happen. He's just sending emails, mostly spam, but that feedback has a an encryption algorithm that if it was going to, so, so the idea is that it goes to the leader of the team whose cyber brain decodes it and then sends it to the rest of the team. So her thinking is, okay, well it's either going to be that guy or all of you. So let me through. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which, which I got to say the first time I watched it, blew over my head completely like she's like it's either him or everyone else and i'm like what does that mean exactly it's like what are you, you talking know, about yeah and the second time i i, I understood what she meant but I, and it's like, I was like what uh that that absolutely uh yeah that, that blew by me also minor nitpicking here the idea that a elite super a class hacker would just spend like two whole days sending spam emails is ludicrous. It's, it's, <laughs> it's ludicrous. And it's also, it's one of those things that, that once they figure out what's going on, 
seems stupid. Yeah. Can I say something? Go for it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, another little, another very nitpicky thing, which I, I wish they would have just explained, is when, uh, when uh, Bato uses infrared to look at the figure, we clearly see Nanao's hairline. Like you can easily see his exact hairline in his thermal scope. <laughs> I know that's a tiny thing, but like I, no, I get, it. I get it. So, I, 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 what I, I was gonna say is, I because I, we, what we find out when they finally bust into his apartment is that. It's just another one of these, you know, android housekeepers wearing way too little clothing uh, yep. that why they're giving off a human reading uh, thermal signature. Maybe that's something he can program it to do. And that's why it's programmed to or, look exactly like his signature. Show. There's there's because I mean, the, the tank introduced the idea that you can wirelessly hack a weapon. True, because like, yeah. it, it does that. So he could have hacked his scope to show what he wanted him to see, but we just don't get that explanation, and so it just kind of that drove me. That, drove that, me a that little, is that is yeah. the one hole in this for me as well. They should have known yeah. better, <laughs> especially because yeah. yeah. especially because the police guys are in the next apartment, the apartment next door. Ah, <sighs> but and we 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 watch uh, now get murdered by a mysterious assailant. So let's talk awesome. about scene. let's talk about now because. Yes. You guys mentioned uh, in the last episode, um, you know, basically what we discover is that Nanao is not the laughing man, but he wants to be the laughing man. He wants to be known as the laughing man. Yeah. And he's and he's got all the reasons. He's got the radicalization. He, you know, uh, was screwed over by a company and Serrano. Serrano. So he's he's got all of these reasons to do it. So he also makes a good case for, well, is the laughing man recruiting these decoys or does the laughing man exist at all? Like, was it just an idea? Like, I mean, I, I love it that, that, that this ends up being kind of the, the kind of fading argument here is because we don't get a straight answer. And I also have to commend the, I don't know if it was the animators or the director, but when the major takes down the superintendent general's uh, hacked secret service agent with this badass flying kick, they, I'm deeply impressed that, that, that they somehow, because they didn't before, completely resisted the temptation for fan service. With her, like, especially from the angle they were coming from, and she's in that that military skirt, I was like, here we go. And no, it's just this really well-drawn um, flying kick, and then she comes, she she lands, and then just nut-punches the dude, and it's a great takedown. Like, it's a good, you see his body divot. I mean, yeah. it is so the, powerful, which the, is important. There are a number of really fantastic things that happen in fights in this episode and that's just the first because yes. as as this is going down when we have the hacked uh, security guard the hacked yeah. cop guy we take him down quickly and now we're escorting the the superintendent general out of the the space we're now suddenly attacked by all of these seemingly random people including this big dude who's so big his prosthetics have steam that has to release before they before it. they go that through. guy is Bala. Yeah. He's a beefy boy. But but this is where we see 
the major's body and what it can do because she is like a top tier like special forces uh cybernetic body it yes. he slams down with a big fist and he's like huge this huge massive dude huge. she blocks and then, but you see the ground underneath her buckle, and it's yeah, so it's, rad. <laughs> it's well done. And and actually, this is this is a good chance to bring up something interesting about the show. Uh, this show was had a had a very high budget, and a lot of that is very apparent. I meant to talk about this at the top. They spent uh, eight hundred million yen, which was about seven point four million dollars in two thousand two. Today, it's about ten million dollars, which is uh, a a good sized. What's now considered a uh, decent-sized small studio film, so they they spent some money and the the fight sequences, the backgrounds, and a lot of the like those sort of animated scenes look fantastic. To me, a lot of the character models, especially when they're standing there talking around, feel a little muted and blurred, as almost as if they they spent all their money making the world feel fantastic and the the characters just don't always look wonderful. Um, so it's whether Final they, Fantasy 7. Uh yeah, basically the original <laughs> great yeah. fantastic pre-rendered backgrounds <laughs> characters made out of well, seven polygons. Throughout this entire show, I am I have been constantly impressed by one how much is going on in the background, the foreground, how much detail is in in the city throughout every scene. But I feel like some of the character detail ha- is lost because of that. And it's not that it's awful because it's not. It just looks it makes them look a little more simple. Um, it never it never really bothered me. Didn't really bother me. Either, but, um, and it's fine. It's just something I noticed. I wonder if it's a standard definition to HD like transitional it, it, period of time. I don't know. I don't know. But it's just even how they're how they're honestly how they're drawn i feel like some more effort was spent around the space in which they were occupying than them <laughs> but i mean also it's a television show you want it to be simple so that the, the animators can quickly get them right right doing their stuff but like you were saying like the one that when the ground buckles underneath her it looks cool you feel looks- that weight he looks cool for a for a single shot because like really um, I mean, one of the things I love about this scene is it shows the how competent the major is because the security details are they're dumb. They just try to take the superintendent general out the front door, which is immediately shown to be a dumb move because some random jock tries to shoot him and he gets foiled. And then a police officer does shoot Dido, superintendent general Dido in the uh, shoulder. So it's immediately obvious that that's not the right way to go. Saito takes out a sniper and somebody else takes out uh, a reporter who had a gun or a cameraman who had a gun. So she immediately whips up a plan to take him into the, uh, the, the underground the parking, parking the underground parking lot to have an ambulance there and a police detail. And, and as they're going down there, they're carrying him. So they're slow. This guy just comes out of a hallway out of nowhere. And you get this. It's like you said, that steam that came out of his shoulder when he revved this was so gorgeous. I, in my notes, though, all I wrote was uh, after she just accepts this blow, no big deal. I was like, okay, must be different types of cybernetic bodies. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ain't no way she so, could have taken that, that hit. And, and, and that is that is one thing that that you, you mentioned that they cover later on in the show that. Yeah. 
a lot of we've been through multiple world wars. A lot of people have cybernetic implants that are cybernetic bodies that were government issued. Bato's eyes are uh, army ranger eyes. The, his his like little dots that he can't yeah. close ever. Um, but you know those are old now. If he if he just got those upgraded, he could have eyes like the major has, or eyes like anybody else has. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a weird it's it's a weird transitionary period. That uh, granted, Bato could probably get that for free as part of his job. But yeah. if I, you're, I just don't think he wants them. I think he likes them. I think he likes them. But but again, yeah. this is one of those things that are, it's just flavor for the for the universe. But um, that's cool. But there are you know people who. You know, they got cyberized to go to war and they came back and maybe they couldn't pay it off. Maybe they maybe they could only yeah. do it because they went to war. It, all this stuff is is just extra flavor in the background of other stuff. Delicious. But uh, so at the end of this episode, we have saved the superintendent general. We have figured out that Nanao was not the laughing man that something else is going something else deeper is going on that seems to be happening and we have all of these seemingly unconnected people that were also trying to attack the superintendent general yes because they and they state um what in a very in a in a great action sequence um the major uh demands or advises that a vaccine should be made uh, for the virus that went into these uh, security leader and or the security captain. And they straight up say, oh, well, we made it. But we when we looked at the virus, sure enough, it's only for him. It's it like all the, everything that's being caused by now by all the, the regular people and the police officer that shot Dido. That's not the virus. And that's that's what is immediately unique uh, to this event. These people aren't acting together. And that's where the mystery is. And, 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 and when all I, those people are in, in custody after the fact, half of them claim that they're the laughing man. And yeah, 39 or, arrested altogether. Yeah. Or a third of them claim that they're the laughing man. A third of them claim that they were told by the laughing man to do that. Mm-hmm. And another third of them felt compelled to do so. We see the bruiser guy, the one who, who the one uh, who threw the big steam powered punch in a interrogation room, and he's taking up the entire room because it's comically small compared to his body, and he's got this great look on his face, just kind of doughboy, you know, blanket, and the interrogating officer is furious because he won't talk. It's super cute. My yeah. my favorite is the elderly man with the backwards baseball cap. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, do you know where the hotel is where Super General Dino will be assassinated? (laughs) (laughs) So so this this is where Aramaki, and this is our last notable term for the evening, explains to us what a standalone complex is. Oh, yeah. Six episodes in. Six episodes in, and what a great point to stop. uh, (laughs) Where we find out that a standalone complex is, for whatever reason... Uh, whether it's uh, a copy without an original, that that something happened to create this idea that was then copied, but the idea never existed in the first place. Yep. Yeah, it, uh, I know the, the the that certain Batman writers have used that with the Joker uh, before, and I I like it. It's a cool idea, but again, 
just because he thinks that does not mean it's the answer. But I love that, you know, Section 9 takes care of the immediate threat. For, for all intents and purposes, this case is resolved for now. But the overarching mystery of The Laughing Man still looms over the show. I really like that because I feel like we got a good little arc that really gave us some compelling storytelling, some good mystery. We got good characters from moments from everybody with this this oh, was it uh, three episode complex arc that we we had just got. I'm sh- I am I haven't looked ahead, but I am sure after this we're going to have a couple of standalone episodes to kind of get back in the groove and they'll like, like most shows do. They'll we'll pepper in the laughing man stuff which is fine because now i feel very confident in the show and i am a hundred percent on board i'm really into it yeah and i will just to briefly mention it because again it's very important uh right after chief adamaki makes his standalone complex speech internally the major doubts it because when she tried to wire into the the security captain's brain Somebody was in his brain. Somebody was watching that go on. An individual. Right. And she immediately questions the idea of the standalone complex because she says, then who was in that man's brain or who was watching us? Who was phone? So there is there is very much still a mystery uh, involved here of is it is the is Chief Automaki's instincts right? Or is whatever um whoever was kind of involved in watching what was going on with the security person yeah no i mean i really like that as the end of this arc and i love that we just because drew and i were going back and forth on what we were doing and we really did randomly just say well let's do the first six episodes but it it created a nice (laughs) really nice intro arc like this felt like a good chunk even despite my feelings about episode three a really good chunk to work with and I'm glad I watched all of it. Like, like you know, Tyler and I had talked about before. With one and two, you get enough to go on, even if you haven't seen the movie. But really, and I, I'm, I'm curious. I want. I kind of want to see the OVA, which basically takes uh, takes a lot of the standalone stuff, and it's just the Laughing Man related stuff with other stuff kind of added in. I want to see if they just start with episode four because I feel like episode four could have been the pilot episode just fine, almost. Uh, I, I maybe one episode before. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe, maybe, ideas, maybe but, something. Yeah. But like, I could have watched an episode start that way. I've seen so many detective things start that way that I, I would have been okay with it. I mean, maybe that's a little bit too bold of a claim. But I did enjoy the first three episodes. Yeah. But they are clearly like this is this is just to kind of give you your feet wet until we we take that yeah. dive in. Do I have time to sing the praises of two scenes in episode yeah. six? Yes. Okay, really, I'll do one, uh, one more in depth and one really quick. The the in depth one I want to talk about is the murder of Nanao A. That shot, it's so oh, good. It's so good. So what I'm talking about is this mysterious person comes in, and Nanao isn't looking at the mysterious person, but he obviously knows who it is, and they're they're they've worked on this together. Really, Nanao is more of a mouthpiece and a and a push a button guy. He's a decoy. Yeah, he's the decoy. And uh, he's pouring himself a drink, and he's really excited to be introduced to the world as the Laughing Man. And when he turns around to face our mysterious figure, there is a silencer uh, pointed right at his face. And he's like, whoa. He first kind of just kind of shoves. He's like, whoa, you're not going to kill me. You need me alive. 
so that I'm the laughing man, right? And this guy doesn't give a darn because yeah, point blank, he shoots it. And and what's great about the scene is, and I think where it's like less is more. We could have seen a head explode right then and there, but what we what we we hear the shot go off and it cuts to a window and the window breaks just kind of like we would expect like the back of his head to kind of shatter open we see that break in the same way with the blood splatter and then it cuts to um the, a view of the floor and we see the mysterious figure's feet and then the now just thud slump and it and 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 the drink he was holding hit the ground at the same time and that 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 sound, that thickening thud sound combined with the glass was such great sound design. And it was it drove home the importance that he's dead. This is like I think as somebody points out, like, you know, the cut the tail from the lizard. He's not a factor anymore. And he's a very important piece of the puzzle that now section nine's just not gonna have. But it was so masterfully shot and done. I loved it so, so much. And and, and I love the follow-up in Bato. And Togusa find him like that. Yeah. It happened like Bato sees it, and he's still got a smile on his face. And oh, Bato, that shot! And yeah, Bato and, and Bato sees it as if oh, he died thinking he was really doing what he wanted. But I think on some level we know that it happened so quickly that there's no way that Nanal thought that was actually what was going to happen. So yeah, he had no. no time to react to what actually happened. Yeah. Mm, chef's uh, guess. Oh, that yeah, yeah. it's it it's 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 an exceptional. I mean, and this this goes into like just what I anticipate the, the this show to deliver because despite any criticisms I have on how it establishes itself, this once the show gets going, I think it's a blast. And so far, to be perfectly honest, I am enjoying it much more than the original film. I I actually, even though it threw me off, I like that the major is kind of quirky in her personality. And I like getting to see more than just Bato get some scream time because the, the films do give Bato a little stuff to do, but get giving, giving everyone, it just makes it feel like an ensemble thing and ghost in the shell doesn't at least in the standalone complex while the rest of the series may involve the major massively. It does seem to get rid of that, that it's just the major like the ghost in the show is just the major show like like the the movie like so it opens up with that that classic of her allowing herself to fall off of a a skyscraper that's like the classic ghost in the shell thing right and i like that it's kind of moving away from that and it's more of all of section nine together kind of huddled up and trying to figure out a mystery and i i I really genuinely am loving where this show is going, mm-hmm. even though I had, you know, I did have some criticisms, but that doesn't mean I thought what I saw was bad. I, I am, I'm a fan. I'm really into it so far. Second praise. Uh, is that I, I want to, one of, it was a character thing. I think that they included, um, for chief Adamaki, and that's when he goes to see superintendent general Dido, except he's mm. not superintendent general Dido anymore. He's going to retire. And when he walks into the room that he shouldn't be going into, he says like, greetings, Mr. Dido, not superintendent general, Mr. Dido. And I was just like, Oh, that is dirty. Yeah. That is like, what that in in just one line in, in just saying Mr. Dido it 
it tells Dido how much Aramaki is aware and what their relationship is really going to be like. And then he lays it out with a much heavier hand. Yeah. But that little but it's knife great. twist, oh, it was so cathartic because this guy sucks. Dido is <laughs> awful. Like, there's no way should you like this dude at all. Um, but that line delivery reminds me of something else I wanted to bring up, which is one thing I love about this show, um, when, especially when I listen to the English dub. I oftentimes listen to the, uh, the Japanese version with subtitles because I took Japanese language classes and I like hearing it. I, I not as very, I'm not very good at it anymore because that was years ago, <laughs> but I still can pick up some things and I enjoy that. But because in this show, they have non-verbal communication. They can speak inside, uh, inside with their, using their brain cases. Um, their their lips don't move, and so these vo- there's this there's a lot of wonderful wonderful English voice acting because they don't have to match. They don't have to sync to the lips of the character, and we get some truly. And if you listen really close, you can actually. Like the the performance increases noticeable when bot poor Bato when the voice act when the English voice actor for Bato is having to lip match, it's rough sometimes. There's a few moments where he pauses in a really weird place because Bato's not talking in that moment. But when they're all just communicating via uh, just internally, there's just some wonderful voice acting stuff, and I am yeah thoroughly enjoying it. One of my favorites is. Uh... <laughs> It's actually from episode three when the major quips with the all oh, their last drive together is a romantic one beachfront. And I was just yeah. like, what? <laughs> like, this, this is what I'm talking about. Her just like yeah. being kind of weird. Yeah. From, I mean, especially coming from the, the stoic movie Ghost in the Shell. And I, I really like <laughs> Especially having started to read the manga where she's a little bit more like this too. I like this version of the major much more. She's great. Well, well, I hope that continues as we get into next week. This has been the longest episode ever of the Moria Nerd. More than I'm two so hours. I'm oh my so god. That's still not the longest episode. <laughs> really? No, we've 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 gone like two forty five with Kelly once, I think. Oh, maybe that was it. So well, then let's talk about some of the uh, the. Nah, 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 we got we got plenty. Of, we got to we got to get all this done in a month. So uh, we got to as we continue into next week to continue any May Ghost in the Shell standalone complex episodes six through twelve. So seven. that's seven through twelve. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Watch episode six again. It's a great episode. It is a great episode. And these next episodes will probably be a little less longer now that the introduction stuff is out of the yeah, way. We don't have to. We don't have to set the stage of anything. Uh, I don't have to rant about episode three. Yeah, you might have to rant about episode nine. Um, <laughs> but with that said, once again, if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at the Maury Nerd on Twitter, Facebook.com slash the Maury Nerd, the of course, and. Email us. Let us know what you think if you're watching along with Ghost in the Shell with us and what you think about episode three. The more you nerd at gmail.com. The more you nerd at gmail.com. Tyler, I want to dote yes. on you for a second. Oh, please do. Because I have a blast with you every Thursday and a lot of Saturdays playing Final Fantasy VII, the original game. It's fun. And you can find us doing that twitch.tv slash cosmic crit every Thursday. Okay. 
almost every Saturday. Sometimes he sneaks and plays without me, even though he's not supposed to. When I have to level grind, nobody needs to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope you're enjoying that experience as much as I am. Oh, dude, it's a absolute blast. uh, If I've never played it. I know nothing of Final Fantasy. I am a total noob babe. And so I think uh, people are enjoying watching me see some of these iconic moments with with completely fresh eyes. And it's just it's just a mind blow blast. It's crazy, it's wacky. Not it's a mind blow because that's a useless limit break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Um but like the tonal changes, I'm just liking everything about it. And I'm liking that you and I get to sit down and discuss it in depth, uh, usually at the, like, the end or beginning of each of our streams, and really kind of dig into all its little ex- eccentricities and quirks. It's very, very fun. I'm and, loving it. And longtime More You Nerd fans, Mike joins us on these streams uh the original co-host of the warrior nerd one of my yeah. dearest friends mike is there he, with us he doing voices stuff red again. 13 and sephiroth i think <laughs> sephiroth, yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> grandpa so oh, oh grandpa so with that said we will see you guys next week as we continue our deep dive into Ghost of the Shell standalone complex. But until then, we end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd out!